Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another Premier League preview podcast. Usually they are exclusive for our Patreon members. Today we are releasing it into the wild, into the world, for everybody to give them something to listen to. As always, or as uh, normally, I'm joined by Lewis Ambrose. Good afternoon, Lewis. Good afternoon, Andrew. How are you? I'm, I'm good. It's Friday. We're top of the league. Let's what else go, can you ask for? Let's go home. That's it. We? Yeah, we go home. I have to shut the door here. Hang on lest the dogs start barking in the background. Yeah, so we are releasing this to everybody on a Friday afternoon uh, because we put an cast out yesterday. I didn't want people to have nothing to listen to on a Friday because, as everyone knows, there are no other Arsenal podcasts out there and we're trying to service very heavy <laughs> heavy demand here. Um, if you do fancy a Premier League preview podcast before every game, as well as all the other bits and pieces that we do on Patreon, feel free to sign up. It's patreon.com forward slash arseblog. You get access to all that content instantly, as well as supporting everything else that we do on the site. So there you go. That'll be the, the last plug, probably. Although, I should for say, for now, there will be at some point in the middle of this, there will be an ad break. But there are no ad breaks on Patreon as well. All the podcasts <laughs> are completely ad-free. And they, they fill you. If you listen on Patreon, you, you're filled with a sense of well-being that you just don't get if you're listening elsewhere. And, and you get to join on, on Discord and tell us all the things you didn't like about the podcast. That's very true. Oh, as well as the things that you do like, of course. We welcome... Oh, yeah. yeah, sorry. I, I didn't mean to rule out any uh, positive feedback. We do welcome positive feedback. And actually, one of the, uh, one of the benefits of the, uh, the Patreon and the Discord community, particularly this weekend when this game against Bournemouth is not being shown on TV anywhere in the UK although it is on TV in Ireland. You, you can't move to Ireland that quickly, most of you listening to this, but you could get on the Discord and there is a channel in there where people are very good at sharing streams and other things that might allow you to watch games like this. Uh, so feel free to get on board with that as well. It is a very genuinely a very, very helpful and welcoming community, so uh, I'm not just saying that. We are top of the league, Lewis. We remain five points clear for now after our win against Everton the other night. We spoke about this the other day in the preview podcast, of course. We talked about what Arsenal might need to do to break Everton open. How much of that did you see in the Arsenal performance on, on Wednesday night? Um, 
Not a great deal in the first half an hour or so. I think we, you know, we talked about the, maybe the centre backs carrying the ball a little bit more. Mm. There wasn't much of that, but the first goal did come from. You know, we talked about the Aston Villa game and how in the second half, especially the right back got got outside Bakayo Saka and really overlapped, and Saka managed to find those pockets of space mm. a little bit further inside rather than collecting the ball on the touchline all the time. And the first goal came from that. The first, you know, the mm. first goal came from in a combination of Gabriel Martinelli not being stuck on the left touchline. Uh, you know, well, he was on the right touchline. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was like he was providing that that overlap on the right um, because of the fluidity, you know, that we've seen the last couple of games with with him and you know, Leandro Trossard playing up front, and it meant Saka could tuck inside and, and just get that bit of space in the middle. And oh well, brilliant goal. Um, mm. And from there. It's always the thing against these teams, isn't it? The first goal. It's all about getting the first goal. And mm. from there, I think there was there were maybe some nerves with the start of the game, the first 20, 30 minutes. But as soon as we were 1-0 up, you fancied us to yeah. click into gear a little bit more and, and take advantage of Everton needing to score a goal to get back into it. He was asked about Alexander Zinchenko today at his press conference, Mikel Arteta, and about how you know his his contribution, his role in that first goal because he played the pass to Bakayo Saka, but it came after he dribbled from central midfield into the sort of right uh, central the Ma- midfield. The Martin Odegaard the Ma- position. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> which is not where ordinarily you expect to find a left back. And he was asked about whether, you know, this is something that he encourages. And he said, if he gives the ball away and they have a counter attack and they score, I would be really upset. But like every manager, he puts a great ball in. Bakayo Saka is inside. He scores happy flowers, he said. We are all happy. He said we're, he has the freedom to move in certain spaces like he does. Uh, but he says at the same time, we require a certain discipline in positions to do what you have to do. It's quite a, almost a double-edged sword in a way, isn't it? It's like be free. Go and do something. Go and use your ability on the ball, your technical ability to make something happen. But how much of the responsibility of other teammates is it when Zinchenko goes into those positions to be aware that that's happening? Like if he did it once in his life and lost the ball and <laughs> the opposition go up the other end and score, you can sort of forgive uh, the Arsenal players or maybe the Arsenal team for being a little bit caught unawares or, or or disorganized, but it should be of no surprise to anybody that Alexander Zinchenko is going to do these things. So there is a measure of, oh, well, look, there he goes. We better shuffle into mm-hmm. position here and make sure that we've got sufficient cover in that left back space. Who that is, I don't know, because Granit Xhaka was at center forward. But like, I'm just saying that the team has to be aware that these fluid motions are going to take place in front of them and they have to organise themselves to, to to best cope with any breakdown in play. Yeah, I mean, if it means on that left-hand side, if it means Gabriel's five, ten yards further upfield in case, of, in case a ball breaks there and then he has to put pressure on it and, and maybe nick it before an Everton player can, then that's what it means. I think we, like, even, and not with the fluidity of, of Alexander Sinchenko, obviously, but even the level of football that we've played you sort of check your shoulder and there's a centre-back carrying the ball out from from defence and you kind of go, yeah, I won't join this attack. I'll probably just stay here just in case. Yeah. So like if if I've had those thoughts on a football pitch playing in midfield, then I would really, really hope that Jorginho or Thomas Partey or or any of the other Arsenal players are capable of, of having those thoughts as well. Also because I, 
I mean, Mikel Arteta, yeah, they're saying that he'd be furious at, at Zinchenko if the ball broke free and, and Everton hit us on the break in the position that he was in. I'm sure Mikel Arteta would have a few choice words for other players as well if Zinchenko went on one of those runs and everyone else just sort of... Went with got, him. <laughs> yeah, like got on with what they would usually do regardless and everyone just piled forward. So I'm sure um, that that sort of outrage from him would... Uh, mm. he wouldn't Zinchenko wouldn't bear the brunt of it. No. On his own, I don't think so. You know, the, the players know, and like you say, it's not a surprise to see him pop up in midfield and on the on the right, even mm. so far forward with the ball. I mean, he didn't. It's obviously more pronounced in games where we have more of the ball, um, but he didn't play anything like a left back the other day, like a, a traditional left back. Should probably say it's, he, he basically just played in midfield for the ninety minutes. It's and it's it's sort of more obvious when Kieran Tierney comes on and does that because with Zinchenko in those central positions, it <laughs> it looks a bit natural. It looks quite natural, right? Because that's kind of where we're used, used to seeing him, but it's also, you know, where he has played a lot, particularly at international level, he plays in, in those positions quite regularly. Whereas Kieran Tierney is sort of like the archetypal up and down uh, left fullback, which isn't to be in any way denigrating of him, but then you see Kieran Tierney come on, and you're like, "What was Kieran Tierney doing, standing in the centre circle with his shirt tucked in and his big number three on his back? What the <laughs> hell is he doing in there?" I guess it's just to do with the style of the player, in a way. The style, mostly. You know what? Now you've just said it. The number, yeah, actually, maybe does something subconsciously as well. Where you're like, number three in the in the middle of the pitch what's yeah, he doing what's happening like Zinchenko wearing 35 is you know he can go wherever he likes and he wouldn't mm. look out of like at a glance he wouldn't look completely out of the out of place I think Tierney's just quite a technically speaking as well I don't think he's bad technically but he's quite like a a rigid footballer his his hips don't swivel like a like you'd expect from maybe like a creative midfielder he's like you mm. say he's, he's the up and down push and go kind of with the ball fullback traditional more traditional style wing back and you know Zinchenko every touch yeah touch with the outside of the boot the inside of the boot he'll turn this way or that way shake a player off under pressure Mm. and Tierney everything looks a little bit more wooden I guess when when he's on the ball and it just does stand out that little bit more it does um Michael Otato was asked again about uh, Gabriel Jesus he said I don't want to give a timeline but he's doing certain things with the team and certain things outside the team. He said he's not very close, <laughs> so but he's, things. he's not far at all. He did clarify that he's not yet in full contact training. I think Charles Watts asked him that if he was in full contact training. He's not quite there yet. So he said he's not very close, but he's not far at all. Classic Arteta giving, <laughs> giving with one hand and taking away with the other. We don't quite know what that might mean, but... It is promising that he's coming back at a time when we may have more fixtures to contend with, um, with Europe and everything else. And if we make, if we make progress in Europe, uh, his presence is going to be very, very welcome. Um, it is amazing to think, though, that given how important he was and how hugely he contributed to our to the first half of our season, pre-World Cup, uh, and what a influential figure he was on the pitch in terms of how we played and, and the performances that we put in. I mean, I don't know that too many people would have put money on Arsenal being five points clear at the top of the table after 
receiving the news that Gabriel Jesus was going to be out for three months? I I would say nobody really would have put money on that or not not any significant amounts of money. I think the reaction, the initial reaction when Gabriel Jesus got injured, also because it was this weird World Cup period and mm. we'd had so much time to just think about Arsenal without actually watching Arsenal. There wasn't another game around the corner. There hadn't been a game for a few weeks. And there'd been so much thinking and talking that I think by the time the World Cup came around, everyone was kind of in this position where we were like, oh, we're actually in a title race here and we could maybe be in a title race for the duration of the season. Mm. But everybody's been fit so far and we can't afford to lose anyone. And then the World Cup came along and we did lose, I think up to that point, arguably our player of the season. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't think anybody expected us to to maintain that gap to City. And obviously it comes along with, with City dropping points along the way as well. But to still have that gap to them, having lost the game at home against them without Gabriel Jesus, it's got, like you say, there's a lot of games coming up before the international break. I think it's five in 11 or five in 15 days or 16 days, beginning with, with Bournemouth on Saturday. Mm. Three league games and, and the two Europa League games against Sporting. And to think that we're still in the same position as we were when he was out and he could be in that run of games. Hopefully he'll, he'll be back in time to get some minutes before the international break. And then after the international break, be ready to hit the ground running. And we've sort of gone through this period so far, knock on wood. Mm. And we've got the same gap to city, the belief, I think within the squad, within the team to think he's going to come back and we're still top of the league has to really make them believe that they've got something for for the final couple of months of the season to help push them even further and get us over the line. No, I agree. It must be exciting to think that he is going to come back and you do have this other option. You do have this great player basically coming back into your team at what could be a key part of the season. Whether or not we see him before the international break, we'll have to wait and see. You know, it's, it's Bournemouth sporting Fulham away. I mean, you might look at the depending on the timeline, of course, and depending on the, the recovery and what the doctors say and everything else, you know, you could look at the the two home games before the interlull, uh, mm-hmm. which is Sporting at home and then Crystal Palace, both at home, you know, as a way of getting him minutes and getting him back into the fold a little bit. But, you know, when you look at what's coming after the international break, got Leeds, Liverpool, West Ham, Southampton, then you've got Man City. You know, having him fully ready for that final charge would be would be Massive. amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Really would. To have a guy, you know, at the business end of the season who is fully, fully charged, you know, isn't feeling the fatigue of a campaign, a full campaign and a World Cup and, and all the rest of it. It could be incredibly important for what we need to do fully charged, incredibly motivated. I'm sure it did something to him to, mm. to have this first half of the season and then go to the World Cup and not get the chance to start games. Yeah. I'm sure that was a, a big disappointment. And then he got injured on top of that at the World Cup. I think there was there was even some talk in Brazil that he sort of carried an injury into that game, that last group game that he did start and then mm. he came off and we've not seen him since. And you wonder, did he push himself through the pain barrier because he had a chance to prove himself in, in Brazil's final group game? Maybe, yeah, you know, like, and and then we've got, we've seen it with Zinchenko all season long. I think there's an added motivation for the pair of them to be in this race against Manchester City and to have gone from being players who were 
not considered unimportant, but extras, I guess, to the Manchester City team. Not not so important that you wouldn't sell them to Arsenal. Yeah. And Mikel Arteta, who knows exactly what to do and exactly what they're capable of. And we've seen it with Zinchenko, and I think you, you saw it in the first half of the season with Gabriel Jesus as well. And, and not to discount the fact that it's another player in a squad that doesn't have very many of them who knows what it's like to be in a dressing room where you go in every week and you have to win mm. to get over the line and, and bring it home. So I think it can't be underestimated, any of it. I think it all, you know, it, it opens up the possibility, you know, the knock-on, the domino effect of Martinelli and Saka between them don't have to start every single game if you've got Trossard and Jesus and Eddie and Ketia available as well, mm. and Smith-Rowe possibly. It's just something through that first half of the season that we didn't have at all. The win on Wednesday, Arteta was asked if it sends a message to the title rivals. He said, there are no messages to the opponents. <laughs> there are just messages to our players to continue doing the same, but better every single day. And that's the only discussion that we're having among the squad. And then there was a question later on as well about um, whether they're discussing you know, the possibility of winning the title. Does he have a plan for the run-in? He said, we never talk that far. We always have a plan for what we'll do in the following weeks. We'll stick to that. And this is a continuation to an extent of the, of the um, you know, one game at a time mantra. We're only, you know, we've talked about this and, you know, we, we know that the players are human and they're looking, they're looking very far ahead. But as much as possible, he's trying to keep them focused in this very narrow way on, on whatever comes next. What do people think a plan for the run, a specific exactly. run-in plan would look like? What, like, we're what winning we all do? these games. Yeah. Just keep doing that. Do you know what? Yeah, uh, let's win as many games as possible. No, don't, don't, don't do get ahead you, of yourself. Like, do you have a plan for the run-in? Yeah. Uh, win as many games as possible. Just keep, just keep winning all of them, I guess. I, I, I guess what it is is more the plan is like, how do you deal with that pressure that you reference mm-hmm. where you have to yeah. win every week, where, where, we know the dynamic can change and we've seen brilliant Arsenal teams with hugely experienced players, you know, get to the business end of the season and sometimes they got over the line and sometimes they didn't Mm -hmm. because just crazy things can happen at this time of the year. So I suppose the plan is more about how you deal with that external pressure. It was interesting to hear Ramsdale talk about it. I was just about to say that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, let me just get up the the quotes here from from Ramsdale. Um, after it was after Wednesday's game, right? The, yeah, the, yeah. Um, and Ramsdale said something along the lines of, "Let me get it here." Um, boom, boom, boom. He talked about you know last year how no one has forgotten about what happened last year at the end of last season. But he was saying that, like, we've never been here before. It's an enjoyment. Not a lot of us have been here before. We don't really know how to handle it. So we're just going in and playing the games as if we're 10th or 12th or whatever, um, which I suppose is one, one way of looking at it. But but the the unfamiliarity in its way might actually be an advantage as well. I think so. I think there was, uh, you know, an interesting the, the, the chat with the, the, the James was a part of uh, with Gary Neville and, and Jamie Carragher the other day and Gary Neville was like you know they've never done it before and all that and then James and I think maybe Jamie Carragher was pointing out so it's like there's well every team who wins the league for the first time has never done it before <laughs> like guess what in 2012 Man City had never done it before and all and none of those players had ever done it before and yeah. you know like it is kind of nonsense but when Liverpool won it a couple of years ago Liverpool had also and all those players had never done it before so like there's always going to be a first time that a certain group of players 
wins something or wins the league title and, and manages to put that run together that's required at the, at the business end of the season. So I think, honestly, I think what Ramsdale, it's easier, it's harder, sorry, than just saying that. It's easy to say it. But I think what Ramsdale's talking about there is, is the best way that you can approach it mentally. It's mm. like, well, we'll go out there and try and enjoy ourselves and not think about the rest of it too much. I've Interestingly, I in these situations, I always feel like you want to, or I've always felt like it's nicer and more comfortable to set the pace. And I feel like, um, maybe, I think maybe we've talked about this recently. I think we've played a lot better when we've had to respond to Manchester City's results this season. Mm. Um, you know, going back to before the World Cup as well, when City would win a game or even drop points. And then it was, I think it sort of maybe focused the minds of the players and, and on the seriousness of it all. And actually recent weeks when we've dropped points, it's tended to come in uh, on weekends when we've played before them, the, the Brentford game, the Everton game. So... I think, you know, it's it's a weird one. It's almost like winning became such a habit that the players needed their minds concentrated again. You know, mm. jump started a little bit maybe by that by that run that we had through February that wasn't so good. And now we've we've put three wins together in a row. We've got a couple of clean sheets again back to back. And the, there shouldn't be a confidence issue anymore, I don't think. I don't think there should be a concentration issue anymore if, mm. if that was an issue at some point. So, you know, I think going into this, as you mentioned, after the international break, the the run ahead of us there is a little bit more daunting. But right now, the players should be looking at the fixtures and thinking they can, as you said, as Ramsdale said, go out and enjoy themselves. And you felt like, I think, on, on Wednesday, that there were, I felt watching them that there was pressure until the first goal or the second goal. And then I felt like the last half hour on Wednesday night, they just really, really enjoyed themselves. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Let's talk teen news then as we look ahead to this game against Bournemouth. There is a doubt over Eddie and Kedia. Uh, Arteta says we're assessing him. It's a bit uncertain what's going to happen, to be honest. Let's see and keep the options open. He's very positive about it. So hopefully he will be fine. I mean, going back to what we were talking about with Gabriel Jesus, you know, we, we don't have a huge amount of depth at, at center forward. Without Jesus, Eddie was the only option. An injury to Eddie means we're in the sort of false nine territory. But I suppose the the positive, if you can call it that, is the fact that Leandro Trossard has done very well in that position in the last couple of games. I think he was good against Leicester. I think he was good again against mm-hmm. um, against Everton on, on Wednesday night. So you'd feel confident that he can continue in that position. The question, of course, is like, you know, when we get to later in the game, if we need to change something, what what can we do if Eddie doesn't make it? Um, you know, you might be looking at Smith-Rowe maybe or, or Martinelli moving into the middle. I don't quite know. But based on what we've seen in in the last couple of games, the way Trossard has settled in and and slotted into that position uh, has been very encouraging. 
Yeah, and it's a position he played in at the start of the season for for Brighton a few times. Mm. Brighton have obviously famously had their issues in front of goal over the past few years and strikers missing chances and you know fluid formations that no one can quite figure out exactly how they're playing. Mm. Um, or, or not in a traditional way anyway. And Trossard spent quite a lot of the start of the season up front um, for Brighton. So it's nothing alien to him, even if he is a bit more of a, a winger naturally mm. or a wide player at least. So I'm, I've got no, I've had no reservations. I think a few weeks ago we were talking about it and and people were <laughs> worried about Martinelli's form. We were talking about Trossard coming sure. in Martinelli's place. And I think I said to you that I, if we were going to make a change up there, I would quite like to see Trossard up down the middle and, mm. and Nketiah given a bit of a break. So yeah, I, like I don't have much concern at all. I think it has added something extra to, to Gabriel Martinelli's game, giving him a bit of freedom coming away from the wing. He's obviously in top form at the moment. Bakaya Saka's in top form. And I think we as a as a team all season long, we talked about how great Gabriel Jesus was, but even at the start of this, oh, the the back end of the first half of the season, if you like, he went on that lengthy goal drought. And it's generally been a case of, you know, somebody chipping in if it's Saka if it's Odegaard if it's Martinelli um, obviously the goal scorers the other night mm. I, I don't think we need a striker who's necessarily finding the back of the net to f- have a striker who's making helping the team play well and be successful so I'm not too worried about Trossard playing up front again no, me neither. Me neither. I think he's he's done well. Um, it'd be nice for him to get a goal, you know, after being denied uh, against mm. uh Leicester? Leicester. Yes, Leicester, like, sorry. All, all these games are just like going around in my head. All these teams that play in blue. Um, but yeah, no, if he could get a goal, you know, having scored in the game against Brentford, which didn't turn out to be the winner, a goal that should have been a winning goal, of course, um, it'd be nice for him to make a contribution tomorrow. The other one, I suppose, that you're looking at for this one is Thomas Partey. Does he come back in to start mm. ahead of, of Jorginho? Uh, Arteta, Arteta spoke about Jorginho being under the weather, which made sense given how um, usually reliable his passing is and how he was sort of a little wayward at times the other night. He hadn't been feeling well and played the first half. Partey came on, I think, as I spoke about on the Arscast yesterday with James Benj, you know, was really key to our second half improvement. I think the two goals obviously gave us a, a real shot in the arm and Everton had to play slightly differently in the second half or at least try and play slightly differently in the second half. But Partey, you know, anchoring that midfield just gives us that fluidity, that that pace of movement and passing, um, which could be vital again when when you're talking about a Bournemouth team, and we'll we'll speak about them in a second. You know, who who are going to be scrapping hard because they're mm-hmm. in the relegation zone. We're at the point of the season where every single point you can get when you're in that position is absolutely crucial. So, I think first and foremost, they're going to be coming to us to look um, not to concede. Um, and that will bring with it its own challenges. But in those kind of games, someone like Partey, um, you know, Bournemouth are going to play like Tottenham played when they came uh, earlier in the season that's, in yeah, the North London the Derby, yeah. right? You know, that's that's basically it. They're going to sit behind the ball. They're going to try and break. Uh, and that's, you know, it's going to be on us to, to try and break them down. Um, you know, your own... Um, thoughts on how Bournemouth and Tottenham's ambitions are the same. That's, you know, I'll leave that with you. But Partey, I think, could be really important tomorrow. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's 
just that when when teams do play that way, sometimes obviously Jorginho's passing. I think he's a brilliant passer, and we we've seen that in some of the uh, the most recent games. He's been really really important in that regard. But it's not like Party can't pass. Mm. Um, he's maybe a little bit less aggressive and adventurous. Uh, the difference, obviously, is is sweeping up defensively and keeping attacks wave after wave after wave of the attack going. Mm-hmm. I think um, you know, Jorginho is a, a bit more of a active defender, I'd probably say, than people give him credit for. But it's very much like he tries to nick the ball. And mm. if he doesn't nick the ball, then... He's done. Like he, he can't. He can't turn around mm. and then start making that run back uh, and have a second bite at it. So party's going to be really important. I think in in that regard, if he does play, I wouldn't. Again, like because of Jorginho's ability on the ball, I wouldn't mind too much if if he did start again. Uh, we obviously don't know how fit Thomas Party is, and we've got a big run of games coming up, even mm. if they aren't the biggest fixtures. But Party obviously can. He just has that those long legs and that ability to cover ground just means that those counter-attacks are snuffed out a little bit more regularly probably mm. with, with him at the base of the midfield. And you can probably then you know, allow Zinchenko and allow Ben White to get a little bit more involved in the final third and, and kind of leave the defending, the stopping the counter-attacks, stopping them on the break. You can leave that to, to party and the two centre-halves rather than needing maybe yeah. Ben White to to stick a little bit closer to the other defenders so that you've got an extra body there um, when one of our attacks does break down. And yeah, I think, and I think we, you know, it's something we talk about, but it's just going to be important breaking these teams down is movement and fluidity and getting bodies forward and mm. not letting them completely crowd us out. And Everton obviously did that really well at Goodison Park. Brentford did it well at the Emirates. It's going to be important to, to get Sinchenko on the ball, to get Martinelli and Trossard drifting and, and to get Ben White helping Bukayo Saka out on the right-hand side as well. What do you expect from Bournemouth in terms of the way they're going to set up for this one? Because last week against Man City, they played a 5-4-1. Normally, they play with a back four or a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-4-1-1 formation. But they went to a back five against Manchester City and got smashed 4-1. You imagine the thinking behind that was, okay, well, listen, this is uh, Manchester City. They're a very good team. We'll play with five at the back, try and defend, uh, you know, block space, et cetera, et cetera. It didn't really work. Do you think he might go back to a back four or is it a case that, okay, that was a bit of a training run against Man City. We can do it better now this weekend against Arsenal. Mm-hmm. It is it is trying to find that balance, isn't it, between a formation which gives you defensive protection and one which doesn't leave you completely and utterly under pressure because you just can't get the ball up the pitch. Yeah, like, you know, you get the striker completely stranded because nobody's anywhere near him every mm. time you get the ball forward. Uh, I don't know, to be honest. I think you know they've they've played a back five in a few other games as well. I think they did against us early in the season, and they and they have against um, mm. Chelsea not that long ago. But I mean, to me, this is if, if if I'm Bournemouth, I'm thinking it's kind of much of a muchness. Like you need to turn up and just hope Arsenal have a bad day, basically. Like I think Bournemouth are. The team, I think it's famous last words, the, the team that I would, in the league, least expect to turn up and kind of think, ah, oh, but on their day, like, even if you compare them to, you know, Leeds or Southampton, mm. Wolves, Forest, the other teams down there, I think, like, the, the gap in talent between Bournemouth and basically everybody else, or, or actually everybody else in the Premier League, 
it means they need to turn up. They need to just be organized and not let a goal in and then just cross their fingers that we miss our chances, that they take theirs, mm. whatever they can get on the break or from a set piece. So I, we're going to get another game where it's spoiled. You know, uh, Michael Oliver took the brave step to have a word with Seamus Coleman five minutes into Wednesday night's game when Jordan Pickford was taking a while <laughs> over a, a goal kick and then never mentioned it again uh, yeah. for some reason. We, look, we, we're we getting very, very used to this. Even the, the great Edison at Manchester City decided, oh, yeah, these these lot are off to play against. Let's uh, let's try and take as long as we can over every single goal kick. So like, it's going to be a lot of that again. And I think, you know, the... How the game pans out, it will have the ball. Bournemouth, I mean, Bournemouth don't keep the ball or, or have much of the possession when they play anybody in the league. Mm. So they're certainly not going to come to come to the Emirates and have much of it. And yeah, long balls to Solanke um, or Kiefer Moore, if he, you know, more who could maybe fit this game for them, uh, like a bit of more of a, a big lump up front. Mm. I wouldn't be stunned for that reason to see them even go like four four two and just have both strikers as as targets to try and yeah take a center half field. each yeah exactly yeah but you know if they do that <laughs> they're welcome to do that as far as i'm concerned if they if they want to play like that and leave one extra defender out then we'll have plenty more space in the final third to create something it would right. be a problem well, look, let's hope, you know, the, the win against Everton the other night has given back a bit of confidence at home. I think it, it really will um, make a difference. You know, the crowd will be up for this. I think what's been fascinating about the last couple of weeks is, you know, the the reaction of the home fans to any player that's time-wasting at all. I think the Newcastle game was like a line in the sand. It's like this collective, this Borg mind, 60,000 people. The minute they see anybody, any goalkeeper wasting time, it's like fucking, you know, they're having none of it and letting the referees know. So uh, it will be fascinating to see how we go and hopefully we can get the goals and the three points. The the gap, of course, could be closed by the time that we play Mm -hmm. because... Manchester City are at home to Newcastle at 12.30. So, I mean, Newcastle have been good under, yeah. under you know, Eddie Howe. Plucky little underdogs, Newcastle. <laughs> with <laughs> with, their, the, PE, with, with the, the PE teacher in charge. Yeah, exactly. You know, how could you not root for these guys? But, you know, they, they've been defensively solid. I mean, I suppose from our perspective, we're looking for them um, – to do us a bit of a favor i i do worry that their form in the first part of the season was if not quite an anomaly they were going through a bit of a purple patch like we spoke about it before you know the the idea that their defensive record is so good is just ridiculous it's you know they're well organized etc etc but it's a bit of a fluke or a freak Mm -hmm. occurrence that they conceded so few goals and kept so many clean sheets i'm not saying they didn't work hard for them but you know i don't know you still expect a goal to sort of like bounce in at some point with a deflection or exactly exactly and they've sort of got away with a few so my worry is going into this game against man city is that they've kind of used up all of that yeah i mean i wonder about the the league cup final last week and if that will be a you know, if there'll be a response to that or if it's more like the bubble has burst mm. and, and now everything collapses. Um, I'd quite happily see everything collapse after after three o'clock on Saturday for them for the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, like we've, we know it's, it's almost one of those, those awful ones when, you've, when Man City are playing. Obviously, we're all watching them, hoping they drop points. But we know Newcastle are capable. 
like you'd almost rather just for the sake of your own sanity Manchester City play Bournemouth and just get it over and done with mm. um you know we know Newcastle can turn up and spoil a game uh you, know, you hold out hope that they play as well as they did I thought they played really well at the Emirates and thought they're defensively excellent and if they could do that again then they've got every chance of, of taking something away from this game I suspect Man City will have too much especially at home yeah um and I suspect last Sunday will not be something Newcastle will be responding to but it actually would have been uh quite deflating so you know here's hoping but uh mm. I I'm wouldn't, yeah, not I wouldn't. overly optimistic. No, me neither. So, you know, we could be going into this game tomorrow with the gap back to two points. So there's that pressure we're talking about, that need to respond. I suppose the other big game of the weekend is is Liverpool against Manchester United. Um, I know Liverpool are still a bit inconsistent, but they do look to be getting back to something, not their <laughs> best, but a bit more like the Liverpool that we have known over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think you summed it up with back to something. Back to something, like yeah. They, they, they were, were nothing. Nothing. For a while, yeah. yeah. For a few months there, they really were um, mm. a little more than nothing. Um, it's a shame that that's over, isn't it? But the, uh, yeah, I mean, four four clean sheets in a row in the league. Uh, and then that's I think that's Liverpool at the moment. They had four clean sheets in a row in the league. Mm. Um, but then they had that weird... Champions League game against Real Madrid in the middle where they went 2-0 up and lost 5-2. I think, I feel like the situation at Liverpool at the moment is just very, very fragile. Like, mm. if they start well and I can see them, I can easily see them playing well and, and winning at Old Trafford on Sunday. But I can, uh, oh, Anfield. It's sorry. at Anfield, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Anfield, sorry. Uh, but I could also see them conceding an early goal and just collapsing completely. Mm. And I, I think that's sort of where they are at the minute. Um, I, I don't think, you know, they've been that bad when I've seen them in recent weeks, but then it just sort of looks like they're in fits and starts and they'll be good for 10, 15 minutes and they'll be really awful for 10, 15 minutes. And, you know, against Manchester United, the form they're in, if they're awful for any 10, 15 minute spell um, on Sunday, then that could be the game over. Yeah, I mean, it could be, but I mean, Liverpool, I think at this point, having come through a really difficult period... They're looking at the table and thinking, well, it's only six points to Tottenham and we've got uh, a game in hand. Mm. I think they still have to play Tottenham at some point as well. Uh, uh, I'm filled that would be. Yeah. They've definitely, they've definitely played them. Um, yeah, at away. the end of April. So they're, they're, you know, it's there for them to, to sort uh, of I salvage think... a season, you know, to put a run together, salvage a season, finish in the top four, get back into the Champions League when it looked, I won't say unexpected or unlikely, but, you know, given how poor things were, to be where they are now, I think, you know, if you're in that Liverpool squad and you're getting players like Jada back and, and everything else, you're thinking, OK, you know, we, we know we're capable. We could easily put a run together and, and, and get back to where we, you know, the minimum requirement, if you like, for their season. I think they'll finish fourth. I, I think they'll finish fourth. Tottenham will um, have the... The issue soon of having Antonio Conte back and they can't win a game when he's on the sidelines. <laughs> the old manager bounce or the old manager splat, whatever yeah, you want to call it. Yeah, the bounce, yeah. Um, they only seem to be good when his assistant is is allowed to take charge. Apart from in the FA Cup, of course. Apart from in the FA Cup, obviously. Um, 
it was under captain's orders, obviously, to <laughs> uh, uh, Brown Lane the other night. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I don't. I obviously don't trust them to put any kind of run of results together. I think they've just had their run of results, sure, and and that's that. Uh, Newcastle, we've already talked about that. I actually think yeah, Liverpool finish fourth. I think they've. I think the issues of their season um, have been maybe a little bit overblown because. Because we just love to talk about crises and everyone being in crisis. Like mm. Chelsea are actually in a crisis. Liverpool have just had a bit of bad luck with injuries and not played very well for a bit. Um, but like, I still think Liverpool will be fine. All right. Well, if you want to hear what we think of the Premier League action, this weekend's Premier League action, you can join us here on Patreon. Uh, next week, myself and Phil Costa will have an episode of The 30 for you in which we take a look back at all the weekend's Premier League action. James and I will be here on Monday with an Arscast Extra discussing the uh, hopefully good result and good performance against Bournemouth. In the meantime, thank you uh, thank you for being here. Hope you enjoyed this, uh, whether you're on Patreon or you're not. Lewis, thank you very much as always. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your Friday night and have a great weekend after that. I'll do my very best to you guys. You also have a great weekend. Uh, take it easy and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 